Hello everyone, today with me I have a woman who has done The Wiz, Dreamgirls, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Head Over Heels, Carolina Change, Jekyll and Hyde, and she can be seen in Days of Wine and Roses currently on Broadway. I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to Sharon Catherine Brown. Hi Sharon, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great. So, how I know you is through Jekyll and Hyde. So uh -huh. when I was in high school, I went through a big like Jekyll and Hyde phase. I loved it so much. And I remember I was looking at a bunch of bootlegs and stuff. And I so you know, I saw your stuff because the second US tour had a bunch of EPKs going out. So, you know, there was like professional clips online of you singing Bring On the Men, um, In His Eyes, A New Life. Um, like all the Lucy solo, someone like uh -huh. you. And then I was like, oh, she's fabulous. But then in college, because I was an English major in college, and during my Romantic Victorian Brit class, no, Romantic Victorian Lit class, we read Jekyll and Hyde. Right. Like the original short story. And I remember after reading that, I suddenly got a whole new love and respect for Jekyll and Hyde because... Because we would also we always would talk about like the elements of romantic Victorian lit, but also gothic lit because the two kind of were like because gothic is a subcategory of romantic lit. And I remember I was looking. I remember, I remember as soon as I finished reading the short story, I immediately watched the pro shoot because it was on Broadway HD at the time, the one with um, David Hasselhoff and that stuff. And I remember I was like, oh my god, this score is, like, it was already incredible. Beautiful, but yeah. seeing all of, like, seeing how, like, it really, like, encapsulates, like, because it was lush and it was romantic, but it was yeah. also had the gothic elements because it was dark and it was, but it was also, like, sexy. But it also had, like, even all the romantic parts of it, it had this, like, weird, like, foreboding presence about it mm -hmm, and it was mm -hmm. and especially the differences between you know like emma's songs and lucy's songs because you know emma it was very much it was very much like textbook romanticism whereas lucy it was more it was more like the darker and anyway i could go on and on about that <laughs> if i had frank wildhorn on i would love to just do like a dramaturgical analysis with him but yes yeah so, oh he would I, love that he would he would that would he would love that he, he appreciates when people appreciate his work so much, he it means a lot to him. I always say this. I had because I had several other women who you know have worked with Frank Wildhorn. I had Karen Mason who did Wonderland with him, and then I had Teal Wicks who did the revival of Jekyll and Hyde. And I always say this: he is so underrated in the U.S. Yeah. Well, I mean, another thing is like there, Frank considers himself always, even with all of this. Um, broadway success he's had he always considers himself an r&b guy and people mm -hmm. forget you know the hits he wrote for whitney and and all you know they people either forget or they just don't realize that that's mm -hmm. the same person you know but that's where his heart is even though we claim him you know as, as broadway people mm -hmm. he's uh and of course you know his uh he has so many shows running all at once the same time in in japan you know yes. so so getting to you now so you're from so you come from a, a family that was in the industry your father was johnny yeah. brown an actor and singer and i remember yeah. i was talking to my mom about this last night she was like oh my god johnny brown she was like i remember watching him on i think it was good times 
Yes, good times. times. She was like, he yeah. was the superintendent with the utility yeah. belt thing. Oh my God. She then went on a whole thing about, you know, how it was like a spinoff of Maude, which was a spinoff of all in the family or, you know, and then it yeah. was like Archie Bunker. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Norman Lear just, uh, just passed yes, away. Just passed so away. it is, um, it, it, it's, it's weird when you, when you lose a family member, I mean, obviously my dad just passed. And so mm-hmm. we're still like very much in the, in the, you know, in the center of grief. Um, and it's weird because I was also thinking about what Matthew Perry's family must go through. When you have somebody that is well known on television and they pass, it's in this weird way. My dad now exists in on television mm-hmm. only, which is is weird. I never thought of that for other families until it happens to you. And I'm like, you know, when when something happens. I never know when I'm going to see my dad in a picture or, some, you know, Norman Lear passed. And so they showed a picture of good times and my dad was, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's odd. It's like, it's dual because it's like, oh, there's my dad. And then all of a sudden, like, I want to burst into tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's so his presence, my, I, I am what is known as a, a double Broadway legacy baby. Um, Cause when you're a Broadway legacy baby, it means that you have one of your parents is mm-hmm. what was on Broadway. I, both of my parents were on Broadway. So that's very rare to, to be the child. Cause most of the time when you meet someone in show business, they are the first generation mm-hmm. in their family to be in it. Um, my dad made his Broadway debut in Golden Boy with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. He was also in Carry Me Back to Morning Hi- Side Heights. Morning Side Heights that was directed by Sidney Poitier, and uh, Louis Gossett was in that uh, was in that production, and um, Diane Ladd, who's Laura Dern's mom, <laughs> <laughs> um, was in that production. This is my dad was in that. My mother June Brown was in the first all black show on Broadway called Memphis Bound. When oh, she was wow. a little girl. Oh, wow. Now, this is, this, like, so being a Broadway uh, baby is that, you know, a legacy baby, that is rare. Being a double is super rare. But what I'm about to tell you, like, you probably will never see this again. <laughs> My mom was a little girl making her Broadway debut in what is now the Belasco Theater. It wasn't called that back then. She was a little girl in the same show with her mother, who was one of the dancing girls. I know, I love your reaction. So I'm that Broadway legacy baby. You won't you will not find that. Any like I defy you to find somebody <laughs> else to go, yes, not only both parents, but my mother when she was a little girl in a Broadway show with her mother. And so, so it's very, I'm very proud of my parents and, and my family. So did you feel pressure then to join the industry yourself? No, there was no, pr- they didn't have a choice. My parents didn't have a choice. I, I started when I was three and a half and it was not, it was my parents' friends were like, she really, you do not realize that she wants to, she wants this. I came out of the womb center stage in my key light. 
with jazz hands. And and the last part of that sounds like the the button of the joke, but my mom said I really did come out out of her womb like like this doing posse. She's like and the first street that I ever you know like rode rode down, you know, from when my mom and dad came from the hospital was Broadway. I mean, it's my life is so charmed and I'm so grateful and I love theater so, so much to my heart. My parents, I don't know what I would have done if they had tried to stop me because they, they just couldn't, you know. Mm -hmm. So I want to now go on to like specifics in your career. So just starting in order. So you did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat mm -hmm. as the narrator. Uh-huh. How much room were you given in the role of the narrator? Because it's obviously not really like, you know, it's not like a book. It's not like a book character. She's really just there for like exposition. <laughs> I, fe I feel like they hired Sharon Catherine Brown. I just feel like my personality, they were like, you're the narrator. Okay. And I was so young, you know, I was the narrator, you know, there are certain things that it's just a good marriage between what you bring mm -hmm. to the stage and what the role is. I was hopping up and down the stage with like the, like a bundle of energy, like <laughs> a, like a heat seeking missile. Like, it, you know, it, it, I was this character and I was given so much freedom to, oh. they just wanted more of what I brought to the table. Um, and they weren't, they, nobody ever said to me, Lori does it like this, the great Lori Beachman. No one, there was no pressure to duplicate any part of what, mm -hmm. what she did, what she did so brilliantly. And, um, you know, so that was great. I made, I made my Broadway debut in, in a show called Maggie Flynn mm -hmm. um, with Shirley Jones and Jack Cassidy. And I, and I, I, I mean, little. Um, and Stephanie Mills was one of the kids in that show. Oh. And Irene Cara was one of the kids in that show. So, so the first part of my career was very much um, just like so energetic. You know, I, I, I played roles that, that married that, my energy Perfect, mm -hmm. perfectly you know because you're you're so young and so <laughs> yeah so then speaking of energetic so you were in dream girls and one of the things yeah. that i noticed about your epi was it was very physical because you know mm -hmm. typically a lot of epis they're very much like they're just they're park and barks and like mm -hmm. they'll do like it's specifically like in move you know they'll do like some of the choreography or like when they're behind jimmy earlier they'll do some of the choreography but they're very mm -hmm. much they just stand there and sing you mm -hmm. were, I know, remember in Seth Rudetsky <clears throat> uploaded something of your move with like. Yeah, he like loves that, Seth. He makes me laugh so hard because he loves that. He loves that so much. And he puts funny captions. He's like, look at her knee bands. Seth is is really a, a dear, dear friend of mine. Seth and James. I love them both. We're very close. He makes me laugh so hard. Because in your move, you know, you danced uh, so aggressively mm -hmm. in this one part. You did during the whole down, 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 down. Like when you hold out down, you do. We're doing like multiple squats. Yeah, yeah. And you were doing all the choreography. How did you, 
what? why because i've never seen an effie do this before and that's not meant to yeah. be judgy i'm sorry if that came out as judgy it's not no 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 it's it's just the it's it's the way i perform mm -hmm. and it's the way i approach i'm an actress first mm -hmm. i and lots of people know me from different roles that have been singing roles but i'm an actress first and effie is very unpolished and very raw and mm -hmm. not in, in any way um uh, a polished performer she's raw emotion and she um and that's how it came out in in my portrayal and i am very physical and i never like the dancing or movement to be taken out when i'm playing the lead in something mm -hmm. which which traditionally it's not it's not done so much anymore but when it was coming up the lead would always do less because usually mm -hmm. the person playing whatever the role is didn't feel comfortable dancing and i i do feel comfortable dancing i'm not a trained dancer but i i would always look at the choreographer and go put the choreography back in for me mm -hmm. and don't you know don't give me less and and also you're on stage that is not the time to lay back you know like like the privilege of being on stage way before jerry mitchell did the hashtag full out that was my life my mm -hmm. parents were my full out uh mentors and teachers because my parents were like this you are a child in a grown-up business mm -hmm. and this business doesn't care that you're a child and so my parents were always my parents you know they didn't like i did not lead them i had to be professional i was still a child i still had to you know came home and had responsibilities my parents never let the reins go they never mm -hmm. abandoned the job of being my parents in any mm -hmm. way and so mm -hmm. i had instruction that I am very, very grateful for because being a grown woman and having a, a child of my own, I am aware of the fact there are many people who have gone through life and this industry on their own, mm -hmm. just learning as they go and bas basically instructing themselves. But my parents were like, don't do it if you're not going to do the blues out of it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not 100%, it's 150%. 100% is where we start in our family mm -hmm. that's not where we land that's mm -hmm. our that's our that's our coming out of the gate that's how i was raised and so that's all i know that's my normal so was it daunting like playing such a massive role as effie um you know i really worked hard to get like I, my personality is not the quote-unquote typical personality of anyone that's ever been cast in that and I was aware mm -hmm. of that that was a role that only one person which is Michael Peters who was my godfather um I was one of his several goddaughters um he you know, friend of the family knew me, you know, from the time I was a toddler. And he was like, she can do this role. And he convinced Michael Bennett, but everybody else 
on the creative team was like, she's too young, she's too thin, she's too this, she's too that. Like I was taught again from my parents because you're an actress, you don't have to walk around like whatever the character is. So I had to work harder to get it. Mm -hmm. So the, I mean, it's, it's a tough role for anybody. So you know what, to be honest, every role is daunting. There's just a, there's just a, all of the roles I've played have been knock it out of the park roles. Mm -hmm. And every time I start rehearsal, I finally, after all these years in show business have embraced, um, my process in, in rehearsals. I've embraced it because I always go through this thing in rehearsals of, you know, you work so hard to get, to get it in auditions. Auditions are, it's a dog fight and you work so hard to get it, get it. And then you start rehearsal and you're like, how am I still in shock? How did I get this? How did, why did they hire me? I don't know that. I don't know that I can't do and I finally learned that that's just a part of the process. And that's what rehearsal is for. Rehearsal is to totally deconstruct who you are, mm -hmm. to take the chances there, to work it out and to feel um, uncomfortable and just awkward. And, you know, what that's what it is. And to know in your heart of hearts, but by the time I hit that stage, it's going to be what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do the most and, and that it's going to be okay. It's, but to, for me, it's all daunting all the time. <laughs> Every role. <laughs> so how did you handle doing such, cause this is a massive role and doing it eight times a week. Again, you know, eight times a week is my normal. Okay. Uh, and, and let me, but let me clarify something. <laughs> Eight times a week is no actor's idea. Okay. Mm -hmm. No actor ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever came up with that schedule idea. Okay. It stinks. And if you don't believe me, ask anybody in opera. If you would look at any opera person and go eight shows a week, they would look at you and go, I'm going to slice you where you stand. Don't come at me with that. <laughs> Miss me with that noise. Okay. Eight shows a week. You're lucky with opera. If you get them three times a week, cause they know, they know how, how much you need for recovery. Mm -hmm. We're doing the craziest thing because there's no, that, that Monday off, that's not enough recovery time for what we do. <laughs> okay. Um, but eight shows a week is, is in my DNA because that's what I was raised into. And I, I'm a hermit crab when I'm on that schedule because I don't want, it, it seems like a cliche of it's somebody's first time all the time in the mm -hmm. audience and nobody cares about your day. That's not what they're paying for. They're not paying for what you come in to the theater with what your job is as an actor or an actress is to unify that audience. They've come in with their day and they've paid to see you to see, to see the show, you mm -hmm. know, in some cases, Tony award winners are paying to see them in a show. Um, and you have to, you have to do the show like you've never done it before and you have to keep getting better. And when you can 
honestly no longer do that, you have to give your notice, pure and simple. Some people keep keep a Broadway gig like it's a government job. And I, I have quit, uh, I have given my notice for jobs without having a job to go to because I won't let my gig become a routine. And mm -hmm. if I feel that I've given all that I can give or I'm ready to move on, I will give my notice even if I don't. I, I'm not saying like that's a brilliant idea. I but just, it's what works for you. It works for me because I will not give less. And also really, mm -hmm. I, I really genuinely love it too much and respect it too much for it to become routine. Broadway is a big deal. Yes. It's a really big deal. And it, it, I never want it to be minimized. Like Broadway is awesome. <laughs> it's just everything. Yeah. And that's just like going off. Like, I mean, I just know that like sometimes like, I know like whenever I go to the theater, like I always like, I always can like, like I always give leeway because, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes they're sick. Sometimes it's just an off day. But for me, when I see a performer have like, cause I've seen some performers where it's like multiple days and I'm like, you're just plateauing with everything. I'm like, maybe you should leave. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really, it's, a, it's, it's disheartening when you see that because here's the thing. I don't need to know who's in the audience mm -hmm. because I don't perform for one or two. You know, the person that makes me the most nervous is my son mm -hmm. because I want him to be proud of me at all mm -hmm. the time. And so you will see me like shaking in my boots when I know my son is coming to see mm -hmm. me because it means so much to me. But that's the only time I shake because that I'm going to give a little extra because so-and-so is in the audience. My parents didn't allow that. My <sighs> parents are like nine times out of 10, that person didn't even pay for their ticket. And you're supposed like, if you, if you are coming to the theater, then you better come to leave your blood on the stage. So mm -hmm. when you see me in a matinee, you know, on a two show day, you come to see me in a matinee, you're seeing an evening show mm -hmm. because that's how I was raised. It's not like a pat on my back. It's literally how I was trained. Mm -hmm. You come on a Saturday matinee, you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to, you shouldn't be able to look at me and tell, oh, they've got another show. You should be able to look at me and your, your thought should be, how could they possibly do another one of these? That's what you should see yep, in the audience. Exactly. You should expect there to be an ambulance waiting for yes. me with oxygen <laughs> because she left it all. That's what, that's what you should uh, make an assumption. Not, oh, I can tell, I can tell they're saving it because they have two shows. My parents would be like, then don't come at all. If you can't do them both at 150%, stay home. And that's just something that I think overall has been being, has been lost throughout, like has been starting to get lost. And like, I get, you know, like, you know, sometimes you just need a personal day. I get that. But like, yeah, but you have person, you have those days are built into your contract. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so take, take that day. If that's what you need, don't bring it into the theater. Like yes, there's, yes. there's something that goes along with our, with our job 
And nobody is holding a gun to your head saying, "Be this is a business. It is minimized, I think, sometimes because people will look and go, you're doing what you love. And I'm like, well, hopefully so is everybody else. Like, I think that people assume that actors are the only ones on the planet that are doing what they love. And so mm-hmm. what we do is minimize. Do you know what I'm saying, Paul? No, like, I completely agree. Since you're enjoying yourself, we don't have to pay you a lot. Since you're enjoying yourself, we don't have, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a business for everyone that's in show business. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that go along with that. And I'm aware that, like what you said, some of that has been lost. But I'm also aware it's because... If you're only hiring, I'm not saying that this is being done everywhere. I'm just saying if you have a lot of projects and the only people getting hired for their those projects are younger people who have never had, have never really done anything, mm-hmm. then they're teaching each other. There's nobody like how I was fortunate enough to have nothing but teachers around me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an option for me to learn and grow. It's like, no, you. This is the way you do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have you don't have the 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 choice to learn to be a student. So, if if that mentality is being lost, that's part of the reason. Is because you know there's got to be a group of people that look at you and go, here's. This is how we do it. You know, it's like there has to be that that element in your in your um in your journey as mm-hmm. an artist. I mean, you have to have that. You have to have somebody going, no, if you don't, if you're not feeling it, then stay your butt home because yeah. this is our gig. Our gig is to feel it all the time. And you know, we ask that of other people. Uh, if if you're going to the doctor, you don't want to hear that your doctor's having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about your day because I don't want you making mistakes on like anything that I need you for. <laughs> and I mean, I just think that's overall like another thing is like people like there's like also the same thing is said for teachers are like, oh, well, you must love teaching it. You're doing it. I was like, yes, we do. But some more money would also be nice. <laughs> yeah, you 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 do love teaching and so you don't want to be taken advantage of because you love what you do because loving what you do should be the norm. In a you know, in mm-hmm. a in a perfect situation, that should be the norm. That's why I'm I'm like a big proponent of not pushing kids into the career that makes the most money because I think that that while those people in, in many times end up being very successful and having their financial stability, yes, but they're not necessarily the best at their gig in terms of dealing with people. Mm-hmm. That person that has wanted to be a doctor on their own for for reasons other than just it's the, you know, financial stability. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But that person that's like the main reason they want to be a doctor is because they want to help. That person's bedside manner is always going to be better than the person who was pushed to be a, a doctor because their entire family are doctors. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And these are the reasons because of financial stability, they may not have the best bedside manner. Mm-hmm. 
So going, so let's get back to Dream Girl because we went off on a brief, a lovely tangent, but we did go off on a tangent there. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you one last question. I want to ask if you had like, because you know, obviously Effie has a lot of incredible numbers and solos. Mm-hmm. Did you have a personal favorite? I never approached Effie the way you're uh, okay. ans- asking that question. That's not how I ever approached it, and so. Um, I can't, I, everybody talks about the big song at the end and that's just not how I approach musicals because characters are, are, do not know they're singing. Like if you, and if this, Mm -hmm. if this interview was a musical, one of us would have started singing by now, but we're Mm -hmm. just having a dialogue. So that journey, I can't start the show thinking about I am telling you just because that's the big number and everybody mm-hmm. else is mine. That moment of of sadness and heartbreak isn't going to mean anything if I don't love her the beginning of her journey mm-hmm. and every part of it. So so y- I love heavy heavy. I love that moment because the 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 cast I was fortunate enough to be in a cast with uh so many people who are so big on Broadway now. Uh, LaChance was in our ensemble. Harold Perrineau from the show Oz and Lost was in our ensemble. Kevin Morrow from Moulin Rouge was in our ensemble. We had like all these stars. Bobby Day, who is in Moulin Rouge right now, was was my CC. We had a lot of uh, incredible uh, performers. And there are certain parts in the show that you just were like, oh my God, the these people are so talented and this just, this moment just works because we're riffing off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I really like the entire journey. That's just for me. And I'll say the same for Caroline. Caroline is my dream role. Really? I wanted to play. I was always too old for Emmy and too young for Caroline. <laughs> and I knew when I was doing head over heels, I knew I was like, well, I'm not going to actually play the role eight shows a week because Sharon, I know, is taking it from broad, uh, from Britain to Broadway. So I know it's already cast. But I told my my agents, I was like, I I will I will stand by that role. I will to do to do that role. And I did go on several times. Yeah, you have to go on and a few times. It's the role of a life. I that was something I was really connected to really 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 connected to you I, I was obsessed with that role it's a dream role it was a dream cast and i cannot get over that i i finally got to do it i'm i'm so i'm just so grateful for that why i love was, that role why was this a dream role for you what was about it was a dream role i fell in love with the music years ago i just got it you know it's like sondheim mm-hmm. sondheim is very difficult for people but I just, from the time I was five years old, I just understood it. I understood it to my core. Mm-hmm. And and with uh, uh, Tony and, and Janine, the piece was very difficult, but I just got it. I don't know mm-hmm. how to explain that. I just understood it. And, and it was so raw. And it was a timing thing. By the time I was old enough to play her, I had everything that I needed to, to do it. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just, I, 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 so dramatic and so layered. She's not just this angry 
person. It's mm-hmm. many different layers that are creating this sadness and this, um, this, this woman it was just my, I think my favorite character ever. Certainly one of my top three, certainly one. Of, and, and I'm getting ready to, uh, um, because I'm I'm also Marilla Cuthbert in the musical of Anne of Green Gables, and we are also going forward <laughs> at the same time Days of Wine and Roses is. And I love Marilla as well. I love characters that are so much deeper than what you think. You know, mm-hmm. not just the angry woman. There's many reasons for for that. And I, Caroline was just oh extraordinary, and the music, and to be able to work with Tony Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori. Finally, you know, it's all that. It was all of these things checked off my bucket list. I couldn't, I love them so much. Uh, yeah, I remember I saw it when I was, because it was my first trip up to NY, like my first annual trip where I go at the end of January. Where are saw, you? I'm in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Okay. No, wait. But you made it sound like you were so much farther away. So I oh. didn't know. I was it's... like, oh, right, right through the tunnel. Okay. Oh, no. It's just, I, I'm in South Jersey, but it's just like for okay. me at my like ripe old age of 24, I cannot like anymore. Like, are you I, really 24? I'm 24. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? You weren't even like, how dare you be such a baby bug? You're new milk. You're brand new. I, love I know. You. That's my favorite. I, I my am. my friend. Everyone is always surprised when I tell them I'm 24. They're like, "You're 24," and I'm like, "Yeah." And I was like, I remember my best friend Samuel. I was like, "You're only 24." He's like, "I thought you were in your 30s." And I was like, "You have a full beard. You yeah. have a, you have a wise man beard." Which I also, is, I mean that in the best way. You no, have a wise man beard. I always just I don't always joke with people. I'm always like, well, I just have the general. I just I was like I always just joke and I say I just have the emotional trauma of someone who was in their thirties. That's very funny. That's funny thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. And be, well, because I also just noticed like there were times where like I remember like I could no longer go up to like NYC and be like and like go up for a day and just be like, okay, we're gonna see a night show and then come home at like midnight one a.m. I'm I can't do that anymore. I'm like we need to be staying the night. We need to be because because you're sleepy. We're t- you're I'm, like I, it's you time to... for bed because <laughs> then it's like then you have like the two hour train ride home and then you got the 30 minutes that you got it and then you got to wait for everyone because we're, we're with my train station in hamilton i just wait for everyone to clear out because there's no point in yeah. rushing to get to the thing so i like yeah. I, I typically then take a nap in my car and then there's the 30 oh minutes naps ride. are the best naps are the best <laughs> when you when you make that transition in your life to i don't need any sleep at all i'm just going because i used to also have my own rock band and it's like I don't need any sleep. Sleep is overrated. Blah blah blah. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, seven thirty is half hour, and I'm already should be in my pajamas. <laughs> like there's something wrong with that. And I and I notice now it's not as generational as I thought it was going to be because now all the younger people in show business are like, yeah, it's my bedtime too. Yeah, I think we're just like mentally tired. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm like that's why like a lot of times now like I'll do like overnight trips to NYC yeah, like, I, have, like yeah. I know a very cheap hotel that I stay at that's like it's pop, called pod 39 it's a very cheap hotel uh-huh. um and it's like just like it's like a pod hotel it's literally what it is and I'll yeah. so my first trip out there I saw Carolina change on a Friday night and then the, I stayed over and then on that Saturday matinee, I saw the play that goes wrong off Broadway. I love that so much. I've seen that two or three times. I love that show. It's so funny. Also, I do have to pause because I did see a cat behind you. Two cats. You probably saw one of them. 
You may have seen, I have no, there's I, no way I can do anything like this where they don't make an appearance. I, because I'm a huge cat lady. Um, <laughs> I, I got two of them. I love, I love the musical and I love cats, the animal. Oh, that's um, very funny. <laughs> I'm also a dog and cat person. I'm like a huge dog person. Our dog passed away years ago. I'm huge. Like I, I could very easy be the female Dr. Doolittle and just have like so many animals. Quick, yeah, revive I that love. musical. And just like have the actual live animals on stage and me and my top hat. I'll be, I'm, I'm here for that. So sorry. I had it because I paused and I was like, I saw a cat like in the back of you while you were talking. And I was like, you know why you didn't see him in the front? Because the whole time I was talking to you, I was holding him back because he's like, I want, he literally wanted to see like who was on the screen. I was like, oh. usually, yeah, he's, he's strong. Because uh, one of my cats is a Maine Coon. You know, they're very Oh, my big, friend Santa is a Maine Coon. <laughs> so, you know, and he's like, what, who are you talking to? And I'm like, please stay back. Because <laughs> once he passes, you see nothing. You just, because he's so big. I... My thing, so I still live with my parents, but, um, and I remember I, cause my thing is, is that we always talk about, I was like, that was like, I, I literally, I had my mom sign like a thing in paper. She said, she's like, the minute you move out and you get an apartment, she said, I will buy a cat for you. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. Get two of them. I, yes, we'll work. Cause I had, um, we had a cat named Carmen. We got him when I was in first grade and he died my, um, the summer of my freshman year of college. Wow. And I remember specifically my senior year of high school afterwards, like I would literally, I would come home from school and I would literally just like, if I, my homework was finished, which most of the time it was, um, I remember I would literally just go, cause we, cause he was getting older. So we eventually just had to keep him in my parents' room mm -hmm. just cause it was just easier because he was having bladder problems. And so it was just easier for us to keep him in the room. And I remember I would literally, oftentimes I would come home, he would be asleep on my parents' bed, and then I would just get into bed and we would cuddle. We would watch Scoop, we watched Scooby Doo, we watched Golden mm -hmm. Girls, we watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we watched we watched Desperate Housewives together. <laughs> and I remember and then when it was summer, I would literally, as soon as I woke up, I would go into my parents' room, I would kick one of them out of bed, and I would then go sleep with my cat. <laughs> Or yeah, if he was, they or if he to was cuddle. On, or if he was on the floor in the closet, I would go and join him on the floor. And my parents, like, when they took this picture of me and him, like, I was literally just on the floor in the closet with my cat, and we were. Oh, asleep. honey, yeah, yeah. yeah so they, they're very affectionate. I yeah, and I love cat. I remember my friend Samuel, like, he always just will send me pictures of his cat Mufasa, the giant Maine Coon cat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And he's always like, he's always like, like when we first were starting like talking, he was always like, he keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I was like, well, what kind of cat is he? And, the, and Samuel was like, well, it's a main coon. And I was like, they get gigantic. Oh, the, I, there's one that I've seen on uh, on IG that is so incredibly big that it made me question. I was like, is that really a tiger? <laughs> I mean, it's he's so in, he's huge. And they're, they have incredible personalities. And so they look very like menacing when they're that big. Yeah. And they're, they're not, they're just like silly. Was it a white cat? Was it like a white yeah. and orange? Oh my God. Yes. That was Castradamus. I think it was. What was, Castrad was. Oh yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't Castradamus. Oh. But of course, I love that you know Castradamus. <laughs> I know. I love that you know. He, he was very huge. No, this, this cat is, 
This cat is so big that it looks like it's a person in a cat suit. Looks like it's you're looking at the musical cats. You're like nobody, no cat could actually be that size. Yep. So huge, just Snow White, and you're like, what? What is going on? Yeah. My Instagram feed consists of my friend, like a little bit of my friends, a little bit of theater, and then it's cats, cows, hippos, and seals. Oh, oh, I love all of that. I love alpacas. I love, I'm a big owl. Owls are the cats of the bird world. And I, I love owls. And I used to have a snow white dove that lived mm -hmm. for many, many years. Music, music used to travel with me. And she was a road mm -hmm. bird. I, I had her from the time she was little. And she, she passed at 20, which is almost unheard of because uh, mm -hmm. they don't live much past 12. And um, I just love, so I follow a couple of the doves because I just miss like mm -hmm. hearing her little laugh and her coo. But yeah, I, 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 so I cannot not follow every single animal <laughs> i can't i can't not follow them i have to to see them and see everything that they're that they're doing i, I, I have, mean yeah i and have the dodo, several of course <laughs> the I dodo. Have, yeah. yes i have several um ugly christmas sweaters that are that have cats on them i have two that have cows on them um i just got one that has um that has a nutcracker on it that says let's get cracking yeah <laughs> That's because that's my that's, other goal. My that's other a dad goal joke. That's, that's my other joke. goal. Yeah, <laughs> that's my other goal in life. Is I want um I want to have enough Christmas sweaters for the entire month of December. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. And, and you know, I feel like you're saying that, and I feel like I heard somebody say that they did that. So you so that I because you're saying that and I'm like I know somebody that that has that that has a ugly sweater they're that they expensive. wear for every day. They're expensive. Yeah, but that's because you're buying them at the wrong time of year. You can't yeah. you can't buy them after June. Or did you you have to you have to buy them and 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 get them like on, you know, eBay or to you you have to have to do off off season or right mm -hmm. after. <clears throat> Immediately following the holiday, you have to pick your that's how we. Go. That's how we get all of our Halloween and Christmas decorations, because <laughs> we're the blow up family. Like we have blow ups, um, and so oh, we. Oh, I love that. We currently, so currently for Christmas, we have a um a Scooby Doo blow up outside, um, which is him in the Santa hat and like the scarf, and it's like I got a Christmas sweater on. We. How have, long does it take? You have one of the machines that. One of the machines they go up within like I want to say like. 30 seconds oh okay um we then have um because th these are like the smaller what they're like they're like they're like a little bit shorter than like average human height so they're like uh -huh. i want to say i want to say they're like kristen channel with size oh <laughs> oh so they're like oh. they're like four foot eleven um and then we have a max and the grinch one we have a so snoopy great. one and then we also we have one that we have not yet we have not put up yet this year is we have this giant like snow globe one of the peanuts oh my god like, and inside it <gasps> no yes wait are you putting that up we're here i think we still need to find it <laughs> it's somewhere oh, in the rush oh okay because that's oh my gosh that's when we put it up like... i'll send you pictures 
Oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's incredible. I love that. I love that's that's the best blow up one. Peanuts in the in the snow globe, that's the best one. <laughs> so we have that and then for Thanksgiving we have a giant turkey. Oh, I love that your family does that. For Halloween we have a Scooby Doo one, um, a Snoopy one, and then we have like a standard like black cat and a pumpkin. Um, yes, we are very, we're the, my mom is trying to currently now get like, she's trying to get like a, like a Scooby-Doo Valentine's Day one, a Scooby-Doo St. Patrick's Day one, we're the, but we have enough to where like, we spread it out so it's not like, cause I've seen some houses where it's like blow up after blow up after blow up after blow up and it's like, whoa. <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's like, that, that's the only thing that matters in life is that kind of fun that you have with your family that's the most that's the most important thing i think that's so cool i remember one i remember we got the giant turkey while my sister was away at college and she came home and she was like and she backed up because she thought she was because she pulled it the driveway <gasps> and then she backed up because she was like wait this isn't the right house oh that's so funny i love that but and anyway we got off topic there for a second time i'm um, like i always say this is like the podcast of tangents that's <laughs> So, moving on to Jekyll and Hyde. So, what drew you to this piece? Because obviously it was, I don't want to say it was controversial, but you know, it had mixed opinions when it first debuted. Well, a couple of things. <clears throat> you mentioned Desperate Housewives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, David Warren, who directed all the Desperate Housewives, was our mm -hmm. director. Jerry oh, wow. Mitchell. Jerry Mitchell was our choreographer. For, Je for Jekyll and, and Hyde? Yeah, so, so that's what... You know, when you see uh, something that, you know, that that was several years ago, and that was before all of their, you know, they had success. But that, that was before, that was before, Jerry Mitchell was telling us what he wanted to be mm -hmm. in Jekyll and Hyde, and he became that. He was like, I want to be like Michael Bennett. I want to be the next one. <laughs> he's a, he was saying that, you know, and uh, Ken Davenport, who's one of the biggest producers on broadway mm -hmm. was our company manager oh wow and kelly o'hara who who is the star of days and wine and roses mm -hmm. i know her from jekyll and hyde she was mm -hmm. my emma you know what i mean so we all we all go back and um and i was the first black woman anywhere ever to play lucy and so it was um and so much of my career was like that mm -hmm. always being the first you know, a, a person of color to, to do whatever. It's like the narrator on Broadway. And for me, that was a part of it at that, at that point, because I, I, it was an incredible role that I knew I could play, but you know, that there was, there was always that thing of what are, would they cast a black woman in this mm -hmm. role? It has never been done before. There is always that element that's part of, of, of being a, a black woman. And it was quite a few years back. Uh, so it was a bigger deal mm -hmm. than it is now. And I, that's just one of the things that I know that uh, you interviewed a friend of mine, Nikki Renee Daniels. And mm -hmm. That's one of the things that we both know is 
although many times we've broken the barriers, it's getting ready to be 2024. Mm -hmm. No person of color should be making these historical moves anymore. You know, it's not a cool thing to, for it to be 2024 and an Asian actress being the first Asian actress to do this. That's not a good look for us as a country and as an industry. It's like enough of that. It's, mm -hmm. it's where people are like, well, we're making strides. It's 2023, getting ready to be 20, get there faster. Mm -hmm. You know, everything is digitalized. Get there faster. We can't keep hearing every year. What's well, getting better. It's getting be enough of that already. And it's no Make longer it equal already. <laughs> and it's no <laughs> like, longer. Yeah. And it's no longer a lack of like, well, we just don't have the people in the industry anymore. We don't have like the capability to fly someone who's maybe not, who's like on the other side of the country over here. And I was like, no, we do. No, no. And, and so I, I, I always it. knew that I could, that it was a role that I, I could play if, if the, if the playing field were going to be viewed e uh, equally and fairly. Um, but at that point, you know, I didn't know, what the thinking was going to be on that. Mm -hmm. So again, I approached it the way I approached everything is I worked really, really hard, really, really hard for that um, aud audition to, to go well. And I always consider Lucy my first, I'm doing air quotes, grown up role, because mm -hmm. until that time <laughs> I had never played a role that re relied so much on, my femininity and my sexuality mm -hmm. and that if you if you're not you know thinking of yourself in that way in real life you know I always thought of myself as not the pretty girl so it was a big deal to go you've got to embrace your pretty you've <laughs> got to just convince yourself that you're pretty because I was like I'm a character actress I'm not you know like one of those women who can build their career on their their looks i'm not saying i didn't want to be i'm just saying you yeah. know that's not how i viewed myself mm -hmm. and suddenly i was like when i'm going to that audition i bought this red bra that was like so sexy that could also be worn as a top mm -hmm. and i came in this you know this outfit and I mean, my puppies and by puppies for those your your listening audience, my breasticles <laughs> were like you know prominently featured in my audition outfit, and mm -hmm. and I was like I had to like get up the nerve to go you know lead with this as opposed to lead with your acting mm -hmm. only. Do you you know what I'm saying? No, I get what lead, you're saying. Just as a, I, it had to be a part of it, and. And so when I got it, that was also sort of an affirmation of, oh, it worked. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my God, I have this thing, you know? And so I, I really feel like that's where I became uh, a grown woman, you know, like that could lead with my femininity that didn't have to like shy away from being sexy and I, mm -hmm. I, I, it was a big deal. I, I did it all in one role. I had to get used to everything all at once that, you know, and, and, and it was, it was great to be that, you know, to have that sort of a attention. I don't mean that I was objectified. I don't mean no, I get what that made saying. me feel uncomfortable. No, I got to be the pretty girl, you know, <laughs> and, and I loved I loved that, you know, and she was such a tragic uh, character and um, 
it you know it wasn't just knock them out of the park songs mm -hmm. it was uh you really just had an incredible acting role yeah i loved i loved it so much and linda edder was so supportive you know that's the other thing is you're in this family of so support uh jason howland who uh wrote paradise square the, the that was on mm -hmm. broadway for a while and <clears throat> the musical director for shucked you know, he was our musical director. You know, mm. I'm I'm working with them uh, with Jason and in Frank's new show, Song of Bernadette. That's one of the I play Madame Malay. That's one of the other things that's in the works. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a you know, and um, it was it was something that was very. It was a big deal when I got it. As a matter of fact, it was such a big deal to me, and I wanted it so much. Uh, I auditioned for it, and before I got home, my agent called and was like, "Are are you sitting down?" I was like, "Well, no, I'm walking." <laughs> I was like, "You you got the role because I I had to go. I was getting on a plane because I was going back and forth from New York to L.A. and and so I know I had to like pack and go." And so I got the. I'm walking across the street, and he's like, "You you got." the role and I almost got hit by a car, you know, cause everything stopped. And, and I was like, never get good news when you're crossing the street. Like always <laughs> make sure you've secured yourself because all of a sudden I was just like, not aware. And that could have been the, <laughs> I could have been smushed. So I was I, almost hit by a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> I always love when people like talk about how they like dress up for auditions or callbacks. Because Karen Mason said that for um, when she was auditioning for Tanya and Mama Mia, she like wore these big go-go boots, this big outfit, like you said, where like everything was up front and in charge. Yeah. And then Teal Wicks was saying how for um, the Cher show, like when she auditioned for that, she wore like a Cher wig. And so like in order to get used to the wig with auditioning, she said that she was walking around the day before running errands. And she was like, I'm oh, sure I so look like funny. a crazy person. Because she that's was like funny. five minutes. She was like this. Well, I think sometimes you know when to do it. Sometimes it just feels right to do mm -hmm. that. It's not every audition for me. It's there's sometimes you just are like, I need this. This is right. It just everything in you tells you it's going to be okay. It's not going to because some people, you know, if you come, some creative teams are like, okay, we we didn't ask for that. This person you know crazy. What I mean? <laughs> it's just sometimes you know that it's going to be okay to do to do. I mm -hmm. um, I've worked with Debbie Allen a couple of times and oh, and love just her. love working with her. And I did a show, and the character that I played was called Berta May and. And I remember coming to the audition in that character. I just knew that it was okay to do it and got it instantly. Like it's, it, the audition was over and they were like, you're, you're this person. Sometimes you just feel it. You just feel it's okay to do, but I have to feel it. I, mm -hmm. I don't just go, Oh, I'm auditioning for this yeah. and I'm, you know what I mean? Like I have to go. This is this is right. I got to do. And I think I think most actors are like that. There's just a certain thing where they mm -hmm. know there's they have to push it a little, and that it's right for them to do. So something I wanted to add, I want to ask you two specific things about Jekyll and Hyde. 
was something I noticed that you do that I don't think any Lucy has done before was you had a very prominent Cockney accent. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. um, no, I... I, I I know that there are things on YouTube that I can tell by the degree of it that it was in the very beginning because gotcha. it was something we had a coach uh, and it was something that I was working on and it just happens that the person did a bootleg. And so I, that was very much for me a work in progress because gotcha. they didn't want it that way the whole time they wanted a different style that kind of was somewhere in the middle so there's a couple of performances well i'm practically going up <laughs> governor and that's not what we landed on but that's what the bootleg was and i'm like oh whatever you know like it's like thanks youtube i love youtube so much but you know like when you're when you're in the process of like still working on stuff, like certain things are just forever. And it look, it, it, it fair is fair. It, every actor has that thing on mm -hmm. the internet forever that you're like, yeah, that was a, that was a work in progress. It was what it ended up being, but you know, by the time it was all said and done, was something that was really nicely in the middle. Mm -hmm. And not so much. All I want is a room somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean that somebody caught that. Like there, I I saw a comment. I don't usually like read comments about anybody because people, people that aren't doing anything are the the only ones commenting. And sometimes they just say s such mean things. Sometimes they say wonderful things, but I mean, even about other people, I won't I won't read them because I'm like, you don't even know these people. You you mm -hmm. don't even do what they do. And you have no, you know, but somebody made that, that statement. And I was like, they don't realize that that was that particular accent was a, a work in progress, but they commented on it. Like they hated it. And I was like, yeah, so did I. I mean, I was, you know, working it out. Like I didn't hate it. I was just like, I was like, oh, I was like, I just like, I wasn't like, I was like, this is very different than what Lucy's normally do. It wasn't like a bad thing. I was like, she's trying something different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it was, we, we were supposed to ha have the accent. That's mm -hmm. the thing. But, you know, there is a, a nicer, more laid back estuary accent. I had to find it. You know, I had to, I had to find it because it was, it was my first actual role doing that. Then, then I played uh, a few since then and, it, and I knew how to, to approach it. And, and you have a coach, you know, you have a, mm -hmm. a dialect coach. And so that was just one of those things where, I can tell when I, cause I've seen that I've seen a couple of the, I've seen a couple of bootlegs and they're from two different times in my run. And I, I can tell by, by what I'm seeing and by what I'm doing and by certain things, um, like somebody will play someone like you. And I'm like, Oh, that was in the beginning. Cause that's not, that's not what we landed on, you know, because mm -hmm. every, every three months, your, your performance is changing. If you're mm -hmm. doing it right, changing for the better, you know, you, you hit this plateau and then you go, you're like, I have to move here. I have to move here. I have to go mm -hmm. farther. So I look at stuff and, and the bootleg, everybody else is just looking at it and I'm looking going, okay, that was probably around, you know? Yeah. 
in the beginning. And then my other question was in this same boot, like, because I'm more just question about like how this came about was with the pianoist, you literally like embraced him and like put his head against your chest. How did that come about? I'm very curious about that. Who, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. I didn't hear your question. Oh, in the um, so in Bring On the Men, there was this part where uh -huh. you like you come on stage and you go meet to the penis or whoever it was, and like you literally like go and you embrace him and like push his head yeah. against your chest. How did that yeah. come about? And was that uncomfortable? No, it wasn't uncomfortable because that was something that, um, that was something that developed. You have to know someone mm -hmm. off stage and be comfortable with, like you have a framework as, as when you're doing a show and then eight shows a week, certain things. I mean, that's why your stage manager is always there to give you notes. You know, mm -hmm. if you, if, if in the course of eight shows a week, every single week, certain things grow and it's wonderful, but then certain things grow and you're like, don't no, come back to the original, come back mm -hmm. to the, and so, that was something that comfortably grew and nobody was, it was, it wasn't something that David Warren said, I want you to do this or Jerry okay. Mitchell said, yeah. it grew and it worked. It worked it for what funny. we were doing. It and we good. knew each other well enough to be comfortable with it was it, certain things you just find on stage and, and everybody's comfortable with it. Yeah, it was, it was fine. So moving on to the show that you will, that you're currently rehearsing in, but by the time this airs, you'll be in previews on is Days of Wine and Roses. Yeah. What? Finally you... getting. <laughs> what? I, I, it I, doesn't I, sound like a fuzzy and warm piece <laughs> when I read it. No, it's not. It's not warm and fuzzy, but it is. It is brilliant, and uh, and I play Mrs. Nolan in it. I'm mm -hmm. not the. I'm not the star of of this one. Uh, Kelly O'Hara is the star and Brian Darcy James is the star. They are the stars of this, of, um, of this production. And it is heavy, but it's brilliant. Like this mm -hmm. is not one of those things that I would ever tell someone, um, Oh, it's really, really heavy. You know, and if you're in a, you know, a, this kind of a mood, look, look, it's not a happy go lucky musical, but there's humor in it and there are light moments in it. And it, the two of them are so brilliant. And Michael Greif, who I go all the way back to rent, rent Michael directed me in rent. I was mm -hmm. a seasons of love soloist. And, um, and as a matter of fact, uh, uh Neil Patrick Harris was our Mark. Oh. And, um, I, I adore Michael. And so as soon as the, opportunity came to work with Michael again that's always going to be a yes for me that's always going to be a yes Kelly we go all the way back you know there mm -hmm. were, when Kelly and I were doing Jekyll and Hyde the the crazy thing is that I was listening to Brian Darcy James every single day <laughs> not I'm not uh exaggerating I was obsessed with his voice uh, on the soundtrack of Titanic so now to be working with him, because mm -hmm. I looked at Kelly, I was like, we were so obsessed with him. Now to be working with him and for him to be, without any exception, one of the nicest people in our entire industry, I'm not exaggerating. Brian mm -hmm. Darcy James is literally one of the sweetest people I've ever met, ever, in my life. And so giving and so dedicated. Um, and I've 
wanted to work with Adam Gettle. I mean, who doesn't want to do an Adam Gettle musical? And Craig Lucas, who has now you know, become such a dear friend of mine. Um, there were no downsides. And so at first, Michael, when I came into the room, Michael Greif was like, um, I don't want to, I, w I don't want to sugarcoat what this situation is going to be for you if you do the mm -hmm. show, because you're basically going to be watching two other people sing. And I was like, I'm going to be watching two people I love sing. You know, sometimes <laughs> I have the lead and sometimes I don't. I'm a working actress. And for me, working all the time is, that's the, that's the goal. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to, to say that. And I was like, sign me up, coach, put me in, you know? So, uh, this team is, is absolutely incredible. And so, uh, and, and I'm very proud of the, the show we have. It's very powerful. And I, I'm glad that we transferred from off Broadway mm -hmm. to, to Broadway. I figured that we would, I thought we would, and Kevin McCollum is who who is our uh, you know big huge producer also from Rent you know it's there's a lot of reunions in this mm -hmm. and I adore him as well and we get along very well so it's comfortable it's comfortable and we are opening where I, I did Carolina Chain yes so <laughs> I'm like hello <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's it's is nice it's going to be a nice run. So you play Mrs. Nolan, as you said. Can you tell us a little bit about your role? Or yeah, yeah, she is. Um, uh, she she is a neighbor that uh, helps Kelly's character, Kirsten Arneson. Um, she's a she's a loving neighbor. I'll just say that okay. she's a loving. No, I mean because I don't want to no, like, no. give you know how she helps her, but she's you know she's that's. Mm -hmm. That's who she is in our production. Um, I don't know. I still have not seen the movie because I just decided I'll see the movie when we're done. So I don't know how Mrs. Nolan was in the movie. Uh, but this is, this is how she is in our, in our production. Mm -hmm. But it's really, really um, a, a, a wonderful, intense production. I mean... Uh, when we were at the Atlantic, people would be just weeping <laughs> at the end of the show. And I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. I remember because I'm not, a, I don't cry a lot, like with, like, specifically, like with media, like, I just not a cry. And I remember it's always so weird because, you know, I watched, you know, when I remember, because when I was in um, New York this past June, I saw, um, I saw what was it lighting the piazza with Ruthie at New York City Center, and I remember so everyone there was always talking. They're like, "Well, Adam's new musical." They're like, "They're like Days of Wine and Roses." They're like, "It's so sad," and they were like debating like which is better, Piazza or Days of Wine and Roses, and it was this whole thing. And I remember everyone was talking about like how they were like crying and stuff. And then I remember it, even like even lighting the piazza, people were crying. And then there was just me, and I was like, "I, I like it's sad," but I was like, "I just I'm not a crier." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know, you know, here's the thing that I love also about um, Days of Wine and Roses for Kelly and Brian. Um, it's not what you're used to seeing them in. Mm -hmm. They're actors. They're actors, and they're really, really good. They're excellent, and so I don't. That is the only thing that I want to say to any audience is, let us grow. 
and and so yeah it's not it's not the king and i it's not that but it's something that you'll be so grateful that mm-hmm. you saw because because they're brilliant so just just let theater is supposed to take you on a journey mm-hmm. and i'm a huge uh crier uh, i'm the, <laughs> the exact opposite of you the the i when i went to see dear evan hansen i literally did well this is kind of my my funny story about that's funny to me anyway i don't like people to set up what i'm about to see so like when a show has been hyped I will try to ignore it when I know I'm going to see it so that I like, I like when I'm in the audience, Mm -hmm. I want you to take me away. Take me, take me. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. willing to go wherever you're willing to take me. So I try to make sure that I'm not seeing the hype or hearing it. You know, I try to just have tunnel vision and not. So I, by the time I saw Dear Evan Hansen, So I see, and, and I have a son, mm-hmm. and so, and it's Ben Platt's like last weekend. He's literally, I think, I think I was three shows away from his last show. It is like he was, he was getting. So the fact that that I had tickets is, it, it's a miracle that you know, because he's getting to leave. And this woman leans over. There was woman right next to me leans over, and she's like. Have you seen this before? And I'm like, and because, because also probably because I'm in the industry. Whenever I see anything, like there are certain show TV shows that I'm like, I just want to watch them by myself because I always watch like I have tunnel vision and I want everything quiet around me and I just get into. I don't want anybody making comments. <laughs> and so, so she leaned over and I was like, yeah, I haven't seen. And she was like. I hope you brought tissues. And I, and for some reason it annoyed me because I'm like, I don't want to hear anything. I don't (laughs) want anybody saying anything to me, making me have that, like the, the reaction before anything happens, like sidebar on on the, like this story is a sidebar. And now I'm going to do another (laughs) sidebar within a sidebar. One of the main things I did playing, uh, playing the role of Effie was, to really stay in the moment and it was my job because so many women had played it before Mm -hmm. I got to the role to unify the audience as an actress to taking the journey that I was taking them on so that they would, because by the time I dream girls had already been, you know, a hit on Broadway years Mm -hmm. before I got to play the role. And people by that time have preconceived ideas of what they're supposed to do as an audience. You're singing. I am telling you, we need to applaud here. And I hate that. I'm like, no, just, just let me take you. Mm-hmm. Let me take you and let me be completely in, uh, in the role as an actress, because I want to make you have a genuine reaction, not the we're supposed to react here. We're supposed, this is, I, it is my job as an actress to make you go, oh, oh, I didn't know that I would, I, that I would feel this here. 
that's my job. So mm-hmm. as in, in the audience, I'm expecting the same thing. I don't want anybody leaning over telling me, I hope you brought your tissues. And I was <laughs> like, so in my, I was a little bit annoyed. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. Like, because I was like, don't tell me I'm going to cry. Because I, I know that this show is like super, super hyped. And I just want to focus. By the, the funniest part about me being slightly annoyed that she said that is because by the time the curtain came down for the intermission, this primal sound came. I remember going, <gasps> I leaned over because <laughs> there was something about seeing dear Evan Hansen and being with my son and being a mom and having gone through all this and, and this woman gave me one of the funniest moments I've ever had ever because without saying anything and your audience won't be able to see this, but I'll just show you how she just took a tissue out slowly out of her purse and just handed it to me, but without looking at me. And I just thought touche lady touche. Cause it was, it was her way of going. I told you so without, having to say anything. And I, I have been laughing about that was like years ago. I still laugh about that. I was like, it was such a funny moment to me. Cause I was so like (laughs) arrogant and like, don't talk to me. (laughs) I'm not going to cry. Don't talk. I was doing the ugliest of ugly cries Mm -hmm. and had a show to do. Cause I was, I was doing a night with Janice Joplin in oh Princeton, New Jersey at the <laughs> McCarter. So I would take, took the train in to see it and had to take the train back to do my show and was on the train going, <laughs> I was like, I looked like a complete and total lunatic. I was like, I'm going to get back in my room so I can cry. Ben, he, that show destroyed me. I told Michael, I told Michael Grimes that. I said, I've never cried like that in my life. I had two instances in a theater where I almost cried. Once was, I saw, it was two shows that were very close, that are very close to my heart. The first one was The Color Purple, The Revival. And it was just, the, it was like, it was literally like, it was, you know, like it was, because uh, I saw it with Jennifer Holiday and Carrie Compare. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, oh my God. And Jennifer, sidebar, Jennifer Holiday's F, uh, Effie, Shug was gorgeous. Effie wasn't so bad either, though, you know? Oh, no, her Effie good. was great. <laughs> no, I'm was, making a joke. No. <laughs> I'm making a joke. <laughs> but like, like, you know, I was going in and I was like, because, you know, usually, you know, she plays like these big, like brassy roles and you're like expecting like this big, like brassy persona. But with her at Shug, there was something so heartbreaking about it because, you know, like when she was on as Shug Avery, you know, when she was doing push the button and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And in like her first few moments, like there was, you know, obviously like the big woman, but like then as soon as she started, like when, as she was opening up to Celie, there was this fragileness that I have never seen from her before. And like, I mean, like in act two, like, you know, when she's like, like the way she just like after like Celie and Shug have their fight, like right before I'm here, the way that Jennifer just walked off stage so defeatedly, I was like, oh my God, that is, it was so heartbreaking because it was, I don't think I've ever seen a Shug before play it to like that. Like, cause I think it helped that a Jennifer is a woman of a certain age and a lot of the Shugs that, and like, you know, Heather and Jennifer, while they were older women, it was still, they were still like 
they were in like their 40s whereas jennifer was in like her 60s i I want you to explain that that phrase to me somebody has to explain it and since you used it what explain it to when people say man of a certain age or what usually it's about women women of a certain age aren't we all of a certain age like aren't you of a certain age like i i know that i'm analytical out of no i'm just telling you that I never understood that because I was like, but everybody is of a certain age. From my understanding of it, it was essentially like it was more of like from my understanding of it and like the whole like history behind it is that it was a way of saying that a woman is older without saying mm-hmm. her specific name. Like, you know, probably like when it was first used, it was meant for literally like a woman who was like 30 or 40. But for now, I always view it as like women who are like 60 or 70 and stuff like uh-huh. that. Huh. Okay. Because I'm know, that, always going. That's just my thought I, process. To me, it would always be so much easier to just say older woman. I mean, I'm an older woman. You, but, you know, like like no, I, I, I used to be the youngest, and now I'm not the youngest anymore. To me, it's like I understand the language so much more when people just use the language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. But like for me, I just thought it was because also for me, like I always view and like this is my director brain now, but I have always viewed Shug as being an older woman like literally like in her 50s or 60s when she meets Celie because when you read the book Shug is already established when Celie is a child did you see the movie the original movie or the new uh-huh. movie the original movie no, yes. the original yes. yeah Margaret Avery my, and my, she was an Margaret older... Avery she 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 was probably younger than than she played but um but she's just such a margaret avery such an incredible actress and she was friends with my parents and and that's why i was just wondering if you you saw that no, i've seen that's... the original movie a few times i um i, I remember i i oh no i loved it too i mean i just i mean oprah Whoopi, um margaret um i'm totally blanking on the guy who was missing ray ray don chong Danny glover I mean, and they were also, I mean, the, also, I mean, the girl who played Nettie, I was just, I mean, it was beautiful. Oh, now I, I'm blanking on her name. Oh, just because you said Nettie, I had, I was getting ready to say, oh my gosh, that's going to bother me. I'm going to message you at three in the morning when I think of her name. <laughs> I, wait, I know. let me look it up right now. The color purple. Because I really, that's bothering me so much. I can't think of her name. She's so amazing. It is Akusa Boussier. Thank you, Boussier. Akusa, Akusa Boussier. No, Akusa Boussier. Thank you. I was like, I can't think of her name. Akusa Boussier. Oh, she's so, oh, so beautiful. And so what a performance. Oh, my god. And gosh. I remember I had never, I, you know, I had originally, like, you know, I would see, like, clips of the original thing online, like, of, like, specifically, like, I'm here. But, like, I remember, like, and I was, like, I was, like, but I had not known the full story. And so, you know, like, I remember seeing I'm Here, you know, she was talking about, like, how her kids and her sister was dead. And I remember when I watched the movie, and then when the car drives up, and I was, like, what's going on? And then when they got out of the car, I was, like, I was watching it, like, on my way home from college. I was, because I was in there, uh-huh. this was, like, and I was, like, sobbing in the car, because I wasn't expecting it to be a happy ending. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like, usually, like, Unfortunately, like a lot of black stories at that time, it's always like this sad ending. You know, the woman is grieving about because she's lost everything. And I wasn't expecting, you know, her to get the house, her to get the woman she loves, yeah. her to get her f- sister and her children back. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but look what she went through to to get that. You know, I mean, 
Whoopi yeah. was robbed of that Oscar. I just well, I mean, I think, but I think so was Steven Spielberg. I mean, I, I think they well. all. I think that should have been a sweep. That's just my opinion. I think it should have been a sweep. I think all of them came together to make one of the most brilliant films ever. And I, I, you know, I'll always think that. And I remember, oh, and then the other one where I nearly cried was Miss Saigon. Was oh yes. <laughs> Because I saw oh. the revival, and I remember, like, I specifically, there was three places where I nearly cried, but, like, I was, like, it was, like, I was, like, getting, like, I always, but I always stop myself, because I was, like, once I start crying, it's everything, it's the snot, it's the, te- like, I get, like, it's, like, I get, like, a massive headache, because, like, then all the snot builds in your head, <laughs> and so- <laughs> But then, like, three hours later, I'm, like, I'm, like, oh, my God. I was, like, well, I was, like, our nasal passages are so open. We could sit. I was, like, we could sing, like, opera and, like, hit all these high notes because our passages are just so cleared up. <laughs> oh, Lord. But, and I remember, like, so it was specifically towards the movie in my mind, the, um, at the end of movie in my mind, because I love Rachel Anko with all my heart. Um, mm. It was the nightmare, and then it was the very end. Like the yeah, very, it's like a, it was extraordinary. I mean, and especially that production, like, I mean, with the, like, literally how it felt like the helicopter, like, because how they did it with the special effects, it literally felt like the helicopter was flying over you. I think that, I think for me, like, as you, as different things happen in your life and you're growing, I, I certainly think that being a mother changed how I reacted to that because mm-hmm. you know you see you see miss saigon and it's gonna make you cry but when you become a mother you're like oh yeah hell yeah yeah, yeah. i give my life for you i mm-hmm. i know that i mean you get that that's why that's one of the reasons i cried so hard at, at, at dear evan hansen i was like how do they know how do they know i mean at some point every mother has had that feeling does anybody have a map we're making mm-hmm. it up as we go like that you, it, it was so perfectly, um, it so perfectly spoke to what, what this dynamic is sometimes. And yeah, so very much, very much uh, Miss Saigon, seeing it before I became a mother and seeing it after I became a mother was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing comes before you, you, you cry in a different way because you now have, someone that you would give your life for you know and that's one of the, also one of the things i love about the color purple is because it's about three like because it's about all these different like people and different lifestyles i always like i know like after college i was connecting with sophia in different ways and i was connecting with suge in different ways then i because originally like you know i connected with like Seely and Nettie, and then when i was in college then it was starting to get more like suge and sophia and it was just this whole yeah and so i love the color purple so much and i know and, all- and how long have you been a black woman i, I wanted to know <laughs> so when did this journey start for you <laughs> for me in um for just to be completely honest for me it started in high school um because i always view it as two things for me miss saigon was a thing that really um I mean, not to go too deep into it, but Miss Saigon was the one that really just, like, helped me be like, okay, because I suffer from depression, anxiety-induced depression, and this whole thing. I've suffered through it since I was in, like, third grade, since my grandma died, um, because my grandma was the one who introduced me to theater. I was very close with her, 
Um, I mean, same. I get. I mean, I get it. I, I get. I get the the anxiety and depression thing. I think more people have that than than anybody ever realized. Now there's no stigma attached, or at least less. So yeah, so, I get yeah. that. And so Miss Saigon was a thing for me that just really like helped me be like, okay, we have depression, we're coming to terms with it. But then the color purple was the thing that really helped me like get like be like, okay, we can move past this. Like for my senior year of high school, I sang I'm here for the talent show with mm -hmm. a 115 degree fever and a um <laughs> I just, and like I was like I was like I was steaming backstage. I was having sour patch kits to like clear everything up. I and I remember like I was I cried when I was performing that and I remember um and because it was just it was like culminating from like everything that I learned like before I went off for college and so yeah so I connect, and I remember what was so funny was that I had like there was there was these, there was this one girl who was in the talent show who was just like she was like well why are you singing a song about black people you're not black she's like well you clearly can't connect with it and I was like because it's a universal theme i was like well that song is not about black people <laughs> exactly i was like i was like i was like none of it like i was like are like i was like is it about a black woman yes but it's not the song is not about being a black woman like if it, if you if i were to come and be like okay i'm gonna sing um i know where i've been from hairspray then i would be like okay that's not but where but where are you in high school I was a senior in high school. I mean, I mean, that's another very young person who hasn't gone on enough of a journey to. That is very much the the a a, um, the, a question that a younger person might ask who doesn't have the experience yet. This you know came, what I mean? This was from the same person who, in fifth grade, was going to sing "I Dreamed a Dream" in the talent show. <laughs> I also this is one of the same person who when I watched Cats I wasn't I wasn't like I wasn't looking up I was looking at Grizabella uh -huh. I was like I was like I can do this role at like five years old I was like, oh that so, I mean that's the role <laughs> I was always I was like I was like I don't want I was like I don't want Monka Strap I was like I don't I was like I could do Rum Tom Tom Tucker but I was like no I was like I give me memory I was like give me give me that wobbling on that's so funny. But you have the, the old Deuteronomy beard, though. You I know do. that. Yes. That's, so there's the wisdom, but you've got the Grizabella sensibility. So you've oh, got yeah. them both. I, well, that was another thing where, like, because I originally wanted to be an actor, and then I was like, well, all my the roles that I want to play are A, women, or two, not of my race. <laughs> like, literally, top, like, top, when I was in high school, top two dream roles were Kim and Miss Saigon and Seeley. I mean, oh, roles that I know I would roles that I know I should never, ever, ever play. But That's like, so funny. In, at lunch, I would always be singing their songs. I would sing the Miss. I would sing the movie in my mind. I'd give my life for you. And then we transition into Candy Store from Heather's. And then we'd sing I'm oh, Here. Yeah. And then we'd finish with the color purple reprise. We were. <laughs> yeah, that was my life. It was very much like I just I connected so deeply with the story, and I know like some people are just like I remember I had because I actually did I ran lights for a community production of the color purple. Oh, awesome! And I remember um, 
I was talking with some of the cast backstage and I remember they were just like, I was talking to them because I was like, I had questions about some of because like, because again, this was my director brain. I was like, I like, because I remember the one girl who played um Squeak, like she uh-huh. dropped, she dropped doing the Squeak voice in Act 2 and I was like, uh-huh. hey, I'm just curious, why did you drop the voice? I was like, I'm not like trying to be judgy. She was just like, she was like, well, it was just harder for me and also I viewed it as, you know, time passed and I was like, oh, okay, cool, interesting. And I remember uh-huh. during intermission, I would always go backstage and I would chat with the cast. We would have long conversations about the show and they uh-huh. were like one of them was like one of the girl the girl played squeak was like are you sure you're not black and i was like that's yes. so funny i was like yes <laughs> that's so funny yeah i mean i think that 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 what the stories that you're telling and the experiences that you have that's the beautiful thing about creativity and that's mm-hmm. the be- beautiful thing about art and that's the reason that what that's the reason why no matter how much they take away from schools and mm-hmm. all these programs and how much they try to minimize they being, you know, the people in power, whoever mm-hmm. has the power to pull funding away. Conversations like this will always be the proof of how important art is and how healing art is and creativity and theater and music and art. Your brain needs it for for development your soul needs it it mm-hmm. is healing it is healing and it and it's it's necessary it is necessary um then just the fact that you have you have that sensibility there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that that is a very beautiful thing you know you know sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't i mean that's what i i'm observing you know sometimes people would be like uh, people need more empathy and they need to see where I'm coming from. And then when you do see where they're coming from, they'll look at you and go, you're not black. You're not white. Well, you're not mm-hmm. Jewish. How do you know? You know, you know, somebody will say, and I'm like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Just let people, you know, I'm, I'm just of the, I'm, mm-hmm. there's a big difference between what people call appropriation and, mm-hmm. and having the disrespect and someone thoroughly loving and embracing. There's a big difference, and it's a big obvious mm-hmm. difference. And so I love it when I see a little white kid doing an African dance and doing it and embracing it. I, I, do, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love it because all cultures should be soaking up all other cultures because your life just gets bigger and bigger. It gets bigger. It gets a little less angry. We've got a lot of anger in our world. I just have three final questions for you. Okie doke. First and foremost, where can the people find you online? I am on uh, Instagram and TikTok. I left what used to be a very cute little bird. I left that. I was like, I'm out of here. This is too weird. Mm-hmm. So I'm on Instagram. And and I also left the the book with the face like in 2016. I just want, I keep it to a minimum because I'm like, I, I have to. I have to manage like yeah. what sometimes is just too crazy or mean spirited. So Instagram, TikTok. And that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm on now. And thread I'm on thread, which is Instagram's version of what used to be a cute little bird. 
<laughs> um, and then also, oh, do you have anything you want to plug? I totally just had a brain fart there. Is there anything you yeah. want to plug or promote? This comes out well, January 12th. Yeah. So, so, uh, we're about to, I'm about to open, uh, in days of wine and roses and, um, at, at, uh, at the 54 theater studio 54 and, uh, it's 16 weeks. So please come and see it's, it's an incredible uh, production and, uh, and there will be, I will just say, stay tuned because I can't say too much right now, but I do want to get people excited about stay tuned for uh, Anne of Green Gables, the musical, and I play Marilla Cuthbert in, in that, Anne's, Anne's adopted mom. Before I ask you my final question, I also want to give you a happy birthday. Oh! Because this will air the day after your birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. How do I look? <laughs> Am I you having look, a good time? <laughs> you look not a day over 24. That's great. Okay, we'll keep it like that. <laughs> so my final question for you is, is there a lady you would love to have lunch with? Sally Field. Sally really? Field. I want, yeah. I, I wish that she would... Um, I wish that she would would teach. I wanted very much to study with her uh, for any amount of time, or do a master class with her. I, I would love to. I would love to to have her as my acting teacher, acting coach, anything. I would love to have lunch with her, and um, I respect her. I think. I think she's ridiculously underrated as an actress, even though even though she has you know two Oscars and. Emmys and stuff. I still think that people don't really realize what she's doing when she works. I deconstruct her work all the time, and I'm like, I don't she's think people realize. Brilliant. You know so, what? I would so love brilliant. Lo what I would love to see her do is they used to do this a lot in like the early 2000s. Is like for like sometimes for like old movies instead of remaking mm -hmm. them, like they would play them like on a big screen and they would just. Uh -huh. But they would mute it, and they would just have them the at. They would have like they would hire like they did it twice for Sunset Boulevard, once with Angelica oh. Huston and um, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, I would love to I, see her do a Sunset Boulevard like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would love to see her do anything, but I would love to have lunch with her because I know that. I mean, I would, I would have so, so many things to ask her, I know that I would learn so much in what, however long that lunch was or short. And then I would also beg her, can you please just give me private, private instruction? I still think one of her greatest performances is her and Mrs. Doubtfire, because that is not an easy role to do. The whole time, the whole, the whole time. <laughs> like that is not an easy role to do because you have to make it this, because you have to first off play opposite Robin Williams, which is not an easy thing to do in general, because he's just so incredible. And what you have to also, you have to play this woman who is cold and calculating, but also still loves her children. Well, see, I, I, I have a slightly different take on, on okay. that. I, I think that what makes it brilliant, the way she portrayed the role 
is that depending on where you are in your life, mm-hmm. she, she's not actually cold and she's not the bad guy. No, and, no, and I know she's not the bad guy, but like... But it's hard not to make, in, in somebody else's hands, I think she would have been. Exactly. I really think in a less skilled actress, there's nothing that, there's no amount of passage of time that could make me like that character. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I just love, <laughs> I just, you see this, right? Yeah, I see the cats. <laughs> you see what's happening. Yes. I mean, look at the side, like, okay. Cause just wanted to jump in, just use me as a springboard to get to the next place. Cat is so huge. But, um, I mean, she, she's just, she's just really so brilliant. And yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. That's under underrated and also very difficult um, to make it work. And it's also very difficult. I think the other reason, because I started at three and a half, I mm-hmm. think I have an affinity for people who started younger and make the transition because it's really difficult to... It's not difficult from our point of view because it's difficult to do. And I won't say our point of view, like I know what it is to have her kind of thing. I just mean, usually it's coming from the, the difficulty comes from the audience's perception of you. The willing that the willingness of the audience to accept you as a young adult and then an adult mm-hmm. and then, a, you know, a grandmother. And then it's the willingness and you have to be strong enough as an actor and also strong enough off stage mm-hmm. to deal with that, to go, to go, I'm going, I'm going to go past this. I mean, when we did rent, that was a big deal for Neil Patrick Harris because all anybody was talking about was Doogie Hauser. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with his, his role when he was a kid? I know of it. I haven't seen it, but I know okay. of it. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, I wasn't like, I, I just, I'm asking you not to be facetious. I'm just, when, no. when Neil Patrick Harris was a little boy, he was in a movie with Ruby Goldberg called Clara's, Hout, uh, Clara's Heart. He was a little boy, you know, so he was a child star, a child actor. And Rent is a very adult piece. <laughs> and seemingly, seemingly there was no in between. You know, it's like the, the audience that came to see uh, us in Rent, they knew him as a little boy. And then all of a sudden he was this adult. Mm-hmm. So his career is, is even more of a triumph than people may realize because there are now some people that only know him as Neil Patrick Harris, the Broadway star. And the How I Met Your Mother star. They don't. There are people that exist that only know him as that. That's a victory. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sally Field went from the Flying Nun and um, Gidget. There, there, you know, if you look at her history of being this teen uh, star, that's that's really difficult when you're in somebody's home all the time. When you're a TV star and young. And then you make that transition and it's successful. That's the other reason why I just like, I would love to, to have lunch and go tell me everything. (laughs) Give me your wisdom. (laughs) She's incredible. And I'm so glad that she's doing, well, she did Broadway once. I'm hoping she returns again. I, I, I do too. I hope she, I hope she not only returns as a performer, I hope I just even see her on Broadway one day on the street. So I can flag her down and go, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm your biggest fan. The whole fan. time? The whole time. The whole time. 
All right. Thank you so much for joining me. It was so great chatting with you and laughing with you. You too. You too. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch. The dinosaurs surviving the crunch. Let's hear.